Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in. Dave Riesinger here with Redeemed Church and I've got a very special message for you and uh, I hope that you lock in and watch the whole thing because this is a builder, right? We're gonna lay a foundation and then we're gonna build and come to a powerful conclusion um, that I know is going to bless your life. We've been in the 91st Psalm and the reason we've been spending a little bit more time in this one Psalm is because this truly is a treasure in the scripture. It's, uh, it's one of those psalms that's very fitting right now for this hour of history that you and I are living in. Um, we are living in a time of drastic change. We're living in a time in history where there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of hostility. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of fear. And when it comes to these things all converging together into this perfect storm, Psalm 91 is the stable boat that you and I want to get ourselves into so that we know how to posture our heart, how to posture our mind, and how to navigate our emotions as we walk through such an unprecedented time in history. Um, this is also a great psalm because we, we need to remember that there are places in the scripture, all scriptures God breathe, and we can take gold out of every single bit of it, but there are places like this, Psalm 91, um, that show us that there can be vast treasure in just a handful of verses. And so we purposely slowed down just so that we didn't rush through some of the major faith lessons that are there. And the other thing is, is that when you think of how special Psalm 91 is, it must be special if the only part of the Bible Satan ever quoted is Psalm 91, and he actually used it to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. In fact, he didn't even misquote it. He quoted it perfectly, but he quoted it out of context. And so if the devil himself is interested in trying to use this against Christ, then we should understand it um, because it's actually one of the most powerful uh, verses or, 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 or chapters that we can use against the enemy himself. And so today, the message is titled, what did you expect? What did you expect? One of the core values at Redeemed Church is bilingual faith. Um, this is the commitment and the ability to walk in the spirit while engaging the responsibilities and the realities on earth. Psalm 91 teaches us the value of expectations. Here's the thing. We as believers in Christ, we need to be expecting power from heaven while at the same time expecting problems will happen here on earth. And the inability to do both of these things, to have our heart in heaven, but have a, a real mindset that although we are children of the King, we're filled with the Spirit, we have the protection of God, we have all that and we must expect that. But we also need to expect that we do live in a fallen world and we were born into a war. But the good news is, even though we're in a war, we have the greatest warrior on the battlefield, the Lord himself, the captain of the Lord's armies, and he is guiding us into victory. But there is this balance that we've got to be able to walk with. This is a must learn because here's the thing, low expectations toward heaven's provision is the enemy of faith. Let me say that again. When you and I have low expectations on God's ability, on God's promises, it actually kills faith and without faith, it's impossible to please God. But no expectations of earth's problems is a recipe for frustrated faith. 
And so you can see why we need both, and Psalm 91 deals with this. I would make the case that the majority of stress, the majority of sadness, uh, the majority of disappointment and anxiety uh, that you and I face is a result of false expectations. It's when I thought my experience was going to be this, but it ended up being this. I thought that I was walking through this door and on the other side of this door, I was going to get X, Y, and Z, but I got A, B, and C. Listen, you and I, we walk through life, we experience life, but I promise you, there are so many times in my own life, I mean, I read this Bible, I talk to God every day, but there are so many times that I find frustration in my heart, not because God did anything wrong and not because he broke any promises, but I put an expectation on God that maybe wasn't in his word, or the opposite is true, is that I put an expectation on something negative and God wanted me to actually put my expectation on something that was counter to the negative thoughts that were in my mind. And so we see this, I mean, think of the times that you've had false expectations. We look at marriage as a perfect example. Um, this is why it's so important for couples that get married to, to get some counsel and to go through premarital counseling because I, I promise you, you've got a bride and a groom and they both come into the same marriage many times with different expectations. You have a wife, okay? So we'll pick on both the husband and the wife, but I mean, if it's a, if it's a uh, typical like uh, stereotype of a lady and she's thinking about her marriage and what it's gonna be like and there's no counsel to the other side and we haven't gone through some processing, you know, she might think like, here's what my marriage is gonna look like. Um, we are gonna get married, we are gonna be best friends, we're gonna do everything together, we're gonna be totally inseparable. Um, when my husband comes home from work, we're gonna do Zumba together, <laughs> we're gonna vacation with my parents, uh, we're gonna be on Pinterest together, and then at the end of every night, we're gonna have three hour face-to-face -face conversations, we're gonna watch romantic comedies four days a week, um, his friends are gonna be my friends, my friends are gonna be his friends, right? We can have this expectation of like, this is what it's going to be. And although those are great things, the husband's coming into the marriage with maybe some different expectations. I met a lot of dudes. I've got a little dude in me too. And when I got married at 19 years old, I learned the hard way that marriage was a little different than what I expected. A guy might come home and be like, you know, when I get married, my honeymoon is never going to end. Like 90% of our free time we're going to use for having sex. Okay. Can I just say that out loud? God, God invented sex and that's his idea. It's a good thing. Right. And this dude is thinking like, we are going to probably die early because we're going to eat so many chicken wings watching sports every day. She's going to be my UFC, NFL, uh, NBA ride or die chick. Our house and our life is going to be one nonstop continuous sports party. She's going to rock the jerseys, right? She's going to, she's going to invite all of our friends and family over other than her parents. Um, they're not invited. I'm not saying that about my parents-in-law, but right. This dude has this picture in his mind. Oh, communication. We won't need to talk a lot because we both know we love each other. And my wife is going to be so chill, so low maintenance, right? So he has this expectation, but how many know that that's kind of a recipe for frustration because what you expected 
may not be the reality of what you get. And again, this is why we encourage people to get pre-marriage counseling so that you can work through some of that and just see what the Bible says about all of that, right? I, was, I remember a time where I was starting my business. So I was 19, I was 18 years old and I was like, man, what do I want to do with my life? And I was talking to my youth pastor at the time. I'd just gotten saved. And I said, hey, man, so uh, I heard you have a, a roofing business. And he's like, yeah, I do. I've been doing it for, you know, a few years. And, and I said, man, how much can you make? Like, how much do you make roofing? And uh, so he told me, and I think what he told me was $16,000 he made in one week. And I'm like, well, that's what I'm doing then. Like, that's, that's my life. That's where I'm going. I want to make that cheddar. So I had this expectation. Uh, I, 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 was, I was dead set that I'm going to have my own roofing business. And I started it. But here's the process. I had an expectation, but my experience was a little different than what I expected. And what I mean by that is that in my mind, what I saw was big paychecks and a ton of freedom owning my own business. But what I experienced was I went to work for a roofing company and they don't pay you big bucks right away. And I had only been on a couple roofs and I'd never been on anything steep. And so my first day on the job, I'm up two stories in the air on this steep roof, crawling, hanging on, like totally terrified. And my boss is like, hey bro, if you can't walk on this, then you need to find another job. Literally told me that straight up day one. And I thought to myself like, I am just through pride, I'm gonna overcome my fear of heights. And, uh, and then, you know, like two weeks into it, um, I was given the task of taking these bundles, which are massively heavy, try and lift a, a bundle of three tab. I think it's like 80 pounds or so. It's, it, it, so there was 120 bundles and they're dropped off like a half a block away from the roof because the truck couldn't get in. And my job at $10 an hour was to take 120 bundles, carry them over, over my shoulder, pack it up two stories and, and feed my boss shingles, right? That's like packing a 12 year old up a ladder, two stories, 120 times for 10 bucks an hour. Can you see where my expectation and my experience were two separate things? And so I was really discouraged and there was many days that I wanted to quit. There were many days that I'm like, man, I'm, I'm not going to do this. But I persevered and I then realized through talking to my youth pastor and other people that you don't just arrive at something great without some struggle. You have to expect that if you're going to do something great, you're, you're also going to have to expect great opposition. And I remember the first job I did, right? So I start my business at 19 years old and uh, on that job I made $150 an hour. And all of a sudden I got some freedom and I started to be able to buy real estate and I could do things that I couldn't do before. Um, but I also realized now I'm a business owner. So I got the big paycheck and I started to have the freedom that I wanted. Um, but then I also realized that as the owner, you can't call in sick. As the owner, when, it, when it's raining and you've got a roof torn off, uh, you're out there at midnight with lights and tarps uh, because you don't want to get sued out of existence. There was a greater level of responsibility. And so I'm using that as an example um, to help us as believers stop walking with disappointment and despair and frustration and sadness because we, we, we look at all these wonderful things that Jesus promised in the abundant life and we accept those, but we forget what he told us in regard to 
the trouble we will have in this life. And when we don't expect it, we don't prepare for it. And when we're not prepared for it, we want the power, the promise, the provision of God, but it's the problems that throw us off and then we start to doubt and the doubt becomes an open door for the enemy to enter our lives and we find ourselves constantly going backwards and then we have this weird hypocrisy or duality in our thinking where we trust God but we don't trust God. We move forward but then why did God allow this to happen? And what does the Bible say? A double-minded man, let not that man expect that he would receive anything from God, right? So, so, so literally God is like, the thing that will kill the power of faithful expectation is not understanding how to apply it. So let me read this, and I know we've been in this for a, a little while, but just for the sake of you hearing the expectations towards heaven's promise, power, and provision, but then God's reality about expecting the problems that you're going to face while expecting heaven's provision. It says, Psalm 91, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We should expect that. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Look, you should expect to be delivered from the traps but you can't expect deliverance if you don't expect traps. Does this make sense? I hope you're tracking here. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you shall take refuge. Expect that to be your reality. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Watch this. Expect God's protection. But how can you expect the protection of God unless you expect there's something God protecting you from? Do you see, do you see the, the bilingual heaven and earth view of expectation? Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is your refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you or overtake you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So again, here's the deal. God promised protection, provision, power, but all of these three promises come with the warning of problems. If God extends these things, then we need to understand why he's extending them. And here's the trap that that you and I fall into. And when I say you and I, I mean me many times, right? So we fall into this trap and this is an increasingly debilitating disease that we see in our culture today. It It is this expectation of being given great opportunities 
yet wanting to quit and complain when obstacles arrive. Like I thought I was going to have this and I thought this was going to turn my way and, and I thought I was going to climb the ladder and I thought I was going to um, excel. But you know that every opportunity to excel comes with a giant in front of it. Anytime you move forward, there's usually a lion you got to kill or a bear you got to kill. Every promotion comes with a wrestling match. Every time we go from one level to the next, anytime we deepen in our love and our understanding with God, there is a graduation process. There are tests in school. If you want to get into eighth grade, you got to pass seventh grade. And in the same way, God loves us so much that he doesn't give us all these promises without allowing the problems to strengthen us and shape us and humble us and, and, and make us more Christ-like. So think about this in a different way then. I'm not expecting problems like, oh no, like I know, I know it's going uh, uh, you know, to be rough. If I want anything good, then God's going to make me suffer. No, that's not how it is. It's that I'm wanting God's best. And in getting God's best, he allows me to go into the gym and work out my faith. He loves us enough that he doesn't want us to lose the level that he gives us. And we will lose it if we don't learn the lessons that we had to wrestle to get to get into that next place. So again, the problems are stepping stones and they become, they become training ground. They're not meant to stress us out. They're not meant... To, to cause doubt or despair. They're just part of the process that we go through in a fallen world. I love this passage by, us, uh, by Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. It says, For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Check it out. Anytime you're standing at the door of great opportunity and great influence and great breakthrough, you can trust that there are going to be many adversaries that resist you. You can expect this. We don't fear the adversaries, but we must acknowledge them. We expect the covering God wants for us, but then we lose heart when we run into the reason we have the covering. You don't need a shelter if there's no danger. You don't need the Holy Spirit as your counselor if you never face confusion. You don't need the helper if you never need help. You don't need the endurance the Bible promises he'll give to you if there's nothing to endure. You don't need patience if there's no one in this life that's going to dance on your very last nerve. Can I get an amen? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Matthew 16, says this. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Expect it. Don't lose heart. Don't get mad at God. Don't get bitter. Don't sulk. Don't, don't, don't give up and throw your hands up and say, God, where are you? He told you, you're going to have trouble. Expect it. But take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. Bam. With every expectation of some problem on earth, there is a greater, more powerful expectation of some provision in heaven that God will give to you because you are more than conquerors. You are the head and not the tail. You are above only and not beneath. God has given you the position of victory, but with the victory, there has to be a, a battle. There has to be something to be victorious over. But Dave, too many times in my life, just to reiterate, 
Too many times I've allowed my lips to proclaim the promise, but I've let the, the problem take root in my heart and then I've lost heart and I've turned away from a fiery faith and it stopped me from not being saved, but it stopped me from moving forward many times in my life. Ground I should have took and God said, I'm promising you that I'm giving you this land. So we, we want to go into the promised land, whatever that is for you and I. Oh, but your first task in the promised land is to go drive out the inhabitants of the land that have been there. What do you mean? I got to fight. You gave me a promise. You told me to go possess it, but God says you will possess it, but you've got to drive out the problems in the midst of possessing it. And that is the journey of developing your faith. And he's with you in all of it. First Corinthians 13, 10. Here's another example. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, expect it. When I get up tomorrow morning, from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed, some point in the day, I'm going to be tempted to do something that isn't pleasing to the Lord, right? So I should expect that. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there's my greater expectation. I know temptation's coming, but there's always an escape route. There's always a way out. No matter what it is, no matter how tempted you feel right now, or how many temptations you've been cyclically giving into, habitually falling to, I promise you, every time you feel cornered and you feel trapped, you can expect that you're actually not boxed in. There is an exit door that God will provide 100% of the time. That we can expect because God said it and he doesn't lie. And then Luke 10, 19, it says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. I love this passage. I quote it all the time. But look at this. Like, rah, rah, we have the sword. We're victors. We're trampling on serpents and scorpions. We quote it, and then guess what happened? Snakes start to slither in, and the power of the enemy starts rising up. And then what do we do? We're like, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? God, why, why am I under attack? And, and why is this rattlesnake, you know, shaking his tail at me? And why is this fearful thing coming against me? Listen, he didn't say you wouldn't experience snakes and scorpions and the power of the enemy. In fact, he said you would, but he's calling us to stop the tantrum and start trampling on the thing that he said we have victory over. He holds us in his arms and he calls us into his promise. And here's what I'm gonna close with. I love King David. Um, David, he, he gives such a great example of how to face this and how to overcome it and how to process it. This is in Psalm 27 and I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but David's re reflecting on the experiences that he had being literally surrounded by armies, being hunted like a dirty dog in caves, right? Um, we're filming this right now, and one of the things that we expect is like, hey, everything's gonna stay quiet. We just had a truck roll by if you heard that. You know, I had an expectation for quiet, but my experience was something's trying to distract me, and I'm ADD, and I was distracted. Now I'm getting back on track. Here we go. Psalm 27. So David's, he just lost his parents. 
He's surrounded by armies and he talks about these oppressors who are falsely accusing him. And so David weaves back and forth in this prayer. He weaves back and forth between the, the, the problem he's facing and the declaration of his passion toward the God he trusts. And this is what he says, Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Look at that. I would have lost heart. One version says, I would have fainted. Another version says, I would have despaired. I would have broken down if I hadn't expected with my heart to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And then here's how he says he does it. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What a great lesson. It's David's expectation of the light during the night that protected his heart from despair. And you and I, I don't know where you're at. Um, I don't know if you're facing serpents and scorpions, if the power of hell is coming against you. I, I don't know if you're in a place in your finances that seems really scary, but know this, every giant is an opportunity for a graduation into a more powerful and more influential place in your life. Every bear you slay, every lion you slay, every Goliath you kill, your influence, your ability, and your capacity increase. So look at your problem through a different perspective and see it through a heavenly paradigm. Yes, as followers of Christ, we have all the protection, the power, and the provision of God, but we will have to engage in this world and we will have to understand that the things in this life will test us and the test is only a means to strengthen us so that we can be more productive in glorifying God and experiencing Him moment by moment throughout our life. I wanna pray for you as we close. Just pray with me. Father, we thank you right now. I don't know who's watching. I pray for the one, first of all, that doesn't know the God I'm talking about. And I pray that Father God, that person that's watching, that has never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Bible says that we're under the power of sin. We're actually in the grip of the evil one. Until we say, I admit I'm a sinner, I confess that Jesus is the Christ, I believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead so I could be saved. And for you watching right now, if you are in a place where you know you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart and you need to commit and surrender your life to Jesus, I would just say do it right now. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. And God, for the rest of us, I pray right now that the, the, the mountains, the seemingly mountains in our life would turn to molehills as we stop looking at how big our problems are and we start to look at how amazing our God is. God, we expect problems, but we more expect that you are the God who is greater than anything we face. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for spending time with us today. If this message you feel would be an encouragement to somebody else, please share it. If you want more info of how to get connected or find out more about Redeem Church, you can go to redeem.church. Love you. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.